Hey everyone, grace and peace to you. My name is Evan Wickham. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Hill Church in San Diego, and you are in for a treat with this one. What you're about to hear is a lecture from our most recent House of Learning, and this one was all about orphan care and how all Christians everywhere are called to this. Um, And before I intro the speaker, uh, a couple questions. What is House of Learning, and what has it been like, and what to expect from House of Learning in the future? First of all, House of Learning is a monthly event at Park Hill Church. They happen on the last Sunday night of the month in our church building, and we take one controversial issue, or one key issue in our culture, and we open up a conversation, and we do lectures, or we invite speakers, experts from outside our local church to come in and speak, and we'll have Q&A moments where we can all open openly ask questions related to the topic uh, in a safe way because we have Slido and you can ask anonymously if you want to ask a tender question. We, we open the room for that stuff. And, um, and, it, and each night there's this topic that we focus on. And of course, we always make sure there's dinner. So uh, what's, a, what's a long gathering together without a good meal? So got to do dinner together. And these nights cost $20 to attend each one, uh, which covers the meal and any other costs related to doing these House of Learning events. Um, we're doing it all the way through 2023, and you guys, they've been incredible. In January, we, we had Chris Nye. Uh, Chris Nye is the author of the book A Captive Mind, among other books. So they're just great. He's, he's an incredible thinker, and he did this thing on how to think like a Christian in a culture that wants us to think like the right or think like the left or the center or whatever else. What does it look like to have the mind of Christ instead of a mind that's held captive by political ideologies. And it was so good in January. And then in February, we had Brian Loritz come do a thing on race and CRT and how to think like Christians about things like white privilege, reparations, affirmative action. And you guys, you must go back and listen to that podcast episode. It was so helpful. We were even able to published the Q&A session on that podcast as well. So you can hear the whole thing. It's absolutely worth your time. And before I announce the speaker for this month, uh, the last one, March, uh, that you're going to hear on this episode, I just want to give a pitch for for April's House of Learning. Sunday night, April 30th, you will not want to miss it. My friend Josh Porter, author of the book Death to Deconstruction, he's coming to do a thing on doubt and deconstruction and what it looks like to doubt faithfully, and how to think about some of the popular critiques of Christianity coming from the deconstruction movement, and especially social media. In fact, at this specific House of Learning, April 30th, Josh and I are planning to platform some of the most popular TikTok videos from folks who are either deconstructing or just fully deconstructed and have left the church for whatever reason. We're gonna, we're just gonna listen. We're gonna listen to the critiques and the pushbacks and then discuss together in a, in a loving environment and, and think through some of those pushbacks because honestly, there's really great questions and critiques of Christianity and the church and the Bible that people have out there, really great questions. And we want the church to be the safest and best place in the world to open up about all our questions and to bring all of our doubts and bring our pain points and our problems, whether they're intellectual problems or spiritual or whatever. And that's what we're going to do. Sunday night, April 30th, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. with Josh Porter. Registration is 20 bucks. You will not want to miss it. 
a night on deconstruction and doubting faithfully in the community of the Spirit of God. Okay, so let's get into this lecture from our March House of Learning. And again, you're in for a treat. Uh, the topic again is orphan care and how all Christians are called to this. The way I like to say it is every Christian may not be called to adopt or become a foster parent, though many Christians are, I believe, many more than we think. Uh, so, but all Christians are absolutely called to this thing called orphan care, concretely, not just passively, but actively. The question for each of us is not if I'm called to orphan care, but how am I being called to it? It's not if, but how. So to that end, you're about to hear a lecture from Missy Bell. Missy is amazing, member of our church. She is uh, the San Diego director of an organization called Olive Crest. And Olive Crest exists to equip people and help churches come alongside children and families in the foster system in several beautiful ways. You can find out more about Olive Crest by visiting the link to Olive Crest in the show notes of this podcast episode. So without any further delay, here is Missy Bell on the Christian call to orphan care. Thanks, Evan. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, well, hi, friends. As Evan has said, my name is Missy Bell. I am the program's director of Olive Crest, which is an organization that believes in transforming the lives of at-risk youth through the healing power of God, a family, and community. Um, I'm so excited for tonight. One, because you guys chose to be here. Like, this isn't just a Sunday that morning that you showed up, like every Sunday morning. Like, this crowd, you guys are invested, and you're interested, and you want to see what God has in store for you. So this kind of crowd is, I'm just like so pumped for. I've also had three shots of espresso, so we're gonna do, we're gonna do it, yeah? Uh, but before we jump into tonight, before we dig into what the heart of God is, we're gonna go ahead and pray. So if you would bow your heads with me. Jesus, it is so good to be with your people, to be with family. Uh, God, we are just so grateful for who you are in our lives. We are so grateful for the way that you showed up for us and that you saved us and redeemed us and called us your daughters and sons. And Lord, we're grateful for the Holy Spirit that helps lead and direct us and that takes the burden and the weight off of figuring things out on our own, Lord, because you have equipped us with a helper to figure these things out. So Lord, would you give us tender hearts would you give us ears to hear, minds to receive, that what you would want us to hear tonight. And Lord, may we follow after you by doing the things that you have called us to. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Uh, so as Evan said, I am a part of the Park Hill community. Um, it has been such a great home for uh, Jake and I, my husband. Um, but I thought I would just kind of hit rewind and go back to the beginning um, for me. And so uh, back in the 90s, uh, my mom and dad were going through infertility. And for some families, that's where the part of adoption and foster care comes into play. And so that was true for my parents. And so my dad was recently unemployed and my mom was a NICU nurse. And a NICU nurse is a nurse that cares for really sick babies. And they had told everybody in their community that they were looking to adopt. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. They, at that time, it was like, tell everyone, tell everyone you know that you're looking to adopt. God does crazy things. And so that's what they had done. And 
On one morning, they, my mom hopped in her car, got to work, went up the three floors, and she met her charge nurse to you know, check in for the day. And her charge nurse looked at her and said, Diane, there's a baby here. And my mom was like, sorry? <laughs> and so the charge nurse went, went on to tell her uh, that my bio mom was the floor underneath. And she had um, significant mental health challenges. And she was unable to care for me. Uh, and so she hadn't made a plan for me, um, but she knew that she couldn't care for me. And so my, the charge nurse told my mom all of the details that she had at the time. And she asked my mom, she said, well, what do you want to do? And my mom looked at her and said, um, call my husband. <laughs> and so my mom called my dad and my dad hopped in the car and he made his way to the hospital. And during that time, my mom made herself to the second floor. And at this point in the story, my mom says she met an angel because my mom knew all the nurses in the hospital, but she didn't recognize this nurse. And she said, I, I know, I hear there's a baby here that's being put up for adoption. And the nurse took her by her hands and said, let me lead you to her. And so this nurse led my mom to where my biological mom lay. And they talked, and 15 minutes later, I became a Nickerson. So the, the, what we're talking about tonight, what we're talking about foster care and adoption, it is so special to me because it's my story. And I want to say that in a group this size, there are people here whose lives has been touched by foster care or adoption or child welfare services. And I just want to say I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you want to dive into this in community. That's the best way to do this. And I'm also excited that Park Hill gets, we get to learn from you too, because we all have knowledge and things that we bring to this topic and we bring our personal stories with us, which can be the most vulnerable thing. So I'm so glad you're here. Uh, but what we're going to dive into today um, is talking about the next steps for women who don't necessarily need a permanent place for their child. They need a temporary place. And then we're going to talk about what adoption looks like. But there, I understand when we talk about foster care and adoption, there are so many questions because it seems so big and so overwhelming. Right? Like, what is the difference between domestic adoption and international adoption? What's the difference between foster care? And there's, there's so many questions. And we're going to dive into some of that tonight. And I want you, as I share, I want you guys to remember those questions. Because like Evan said, there's going to be a time at the end of tonight where there's going to be a panel. And you guys are going to be able to throw in questions and ask and learn and have those questions answered. So if I don't touch on something, keep it. Hold that in your mind, write it down, and then we're going to have Slido, which is, you know, so fancy nowadays, technology, and you'll be able to throw it up there. Uh, but Olive Crest, in our San Diego office, um, we care for vulnerable children in two ways. Um, and the first is what's called um, strong families. And I want you to imagine there's what we like to call a care continuum, right? And so on this care continuum is how... The, how society, how we and our nation have decided to help children. And the first is what we call preservation, family preservation. And that's where this ministry called Strong Families lives. And then there's intervention. And that is when the government has had to intervene and it has had to intervene and take kids to a safe place, a temporary place, typically 18 to 24 months, so that the families can seek help, well, health and wholeness, and that's foster care. Um, and then there's called, um, there's preservation, intervention, and restoration. And if a child isn't 
helped in the family preservation area, and if a child isn't caught in the foster care system, then they end up what's called in restoration ministries. And you probably know these as, you know, homeless outreaches. I mean, we'll get into stats around that, or it could look like um, serving at um, homes that care for women who have been sex trafficked, because those things are where children will end up should they not have a, find a safe place before. Um, and in San Diego, for all of Crest, we have um, what's called Strong Families, and that's our family preservation uh, arm here in San Diego. And a lot of people don't know that there is what's called family preservation, right? I'm, like, if I were to ask, how many of you know about family preservation? One, two? We got two. We got, okay, that's like more than most, right? Uh, but Strong Families exists to care for children whose families are in crisis. And so for one night, up to 90 days, children will be welcomed into a host family's home to have a safe and stable place so that their mom can take their next best step. What's interesting about the family preservation model is that unlike foster care and unlike adoption, in the family preservation space, moms get to keep parental rights. And that is unique in and of itself because once foster care comes into play, those parental rights are terminated or they are uh, mandated and controlled by the government. But if you go upstream from that, we get to say, you still get to be mom. You still get to be mom, you still get to call the shots, but there's just a family who cares for you and wants to open their home to, to your children. Um, and to give you an idea, in San Diego last year, um, we had 303 hostings. So that means host families across San Diego opened their home 303 times to children. And that those 303 hostings equaled about 1,300 safe nights. And that number, while we looked at last year and we're like, wow, God did an extraordinary thing, we are, <laughs> we are set to just break records this year in helping more families. Because the need in San Diego is staggering. And I wish it was getting better, but I could tell you that it's not. Uh, but just to give you, I, I mentioned family preservation and I mentioned hostings and you're like, that's great, I really still don't really understand. And that's okay, <laughs> this is the world I live in. But to kind of break down what that looks like, um, last year um, we got a phone call from a mom who was in the hospital. Uh, so we quickly mobilized to meet her at this hospital. Um, and I went into the hospital room and sat down and listened to her story, and I found out that she had been lying on the bathroom floor for three hours. Because, you see, she had a teenage son, and her life had been touched by child welfare services before, and she got on a better path, but she found herself in a medical emergency, and she had no community. She had nobody to call and say, hey, could you watch my son while I attend to the very emergency need that I have. And so thankfully she got connected to us and got our hotline number and we sat there and I talked to her and I learned her story. And as I shared about what our program is, she just started to weep. And that's not an uncommon reaction because I got to share with her, there's families across San Diego who just want to care for your child while you attend to the very real medical emergency in your life. And she looked at me and she was like, but why? <laughs> like, why would I, why, why do they want to do this? 
Like for towards what end? Like when do they get paid? Do I have to pay them? Do, will I have to owe them? Like what, why? And I got to share at that time that there's people who know Jesus and love him. And they do this out of the overwhelming abundance of their heart. She, for her, she, she couldn't fathom a world where strangers would want to do that. So that's the family preservation arm. And then we have the intervention, and that's foster care. Um, and then when I mention foster care, some of you have an idea of what that means, right? We like all kind of know. Um, you know, foster care used to be talked about at the county that um, if a child had suffered abuse and neglect, um, that's when a child entered into foster care. But about five years ago, um, the county said, you know, there's just too many children who are experiencing abuse and neglect. So we're actually gonna add blatant in front of that. So now as we talk about children who are in foster care, we say children who have experienced blatant abuse and neglect are in the system. Um, and, the, and the purpose and the goal of foster care is reunification. And that is sometimes a really hard pill to swallow, right? Because there's been a reason why the kids have been removed but we, and I get to share, say this amongst us, we know that with God all things are possible and that there can be a redemption story. Um, so that's family preservation. We have intervention. And I would imagine that these concepts, while they might be new for you, in when we're talking about children you don't know, I would imagine that maybe your family or you have done something similar for people you do know. Maybe it was like your aunts, maybe it was your cousins that you guys opened your home to because your aunt was going through a really hard time, right? Or maybe your family opened your home to ailing parents or elderly grandparents because maybe they didn't plan well for like that last quarter of their life, right? Or maybe you had a friend in school that uh, they were going through a hard time and maybe they ended up living in their car and you opened your home to them. You see, we, I, I try to make this bridge that this isn't crazy. A little bit. It's a little crazy. But this concept of opening your home and your heart to others is not so outlandish. I'm sure there's people in your community, maybe even your community group, somebody fell on hard times and you opened your home to them. Um, and if we're honest, if we look back at those times, maybe they were challenging, right? I would be remiss to say that opening your heart and your home is easy because there is sacrifice. Um, but the Bible does have some really real things to say about opening your heart and your home to children who you don't know. Um, so James 1.27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, the mom sitting in that hospital room that I shared about, she was experiencing pure and undefiled religion. Uh, she was being embraced by believers who said, You know what? I know Jesus. I know the words that he has said and I know him to be true, I will take care of your kids. Um, so we're gonna pick apart James 1.27. I know you're here tonight to like dig in and like, you know, really tear this thing apart. So we're gonna do that. Uh, 
And James 1.27 is for those of us in this room that know Christ. Um, and what's interesting about James 1.27 is I'm sure you've heard it preached before, and maybe you've heard it shared that James 1.27 is a mandate. But if you look at it, it's actually not a mandate. It's a mirror. James 1.27 is supposed to be a means of looking at our lives and seeing, does, do we reflect Christ? Because James 1.27 shows us this is how our faith gets worked out. This is the reflection that we shine when we follow after the Lord. Uh, so the first part of that verse is religion that is pure and undefiled. And in other words, the most beautiful display of what we know to be inwardly true. So it's an external display of an internal reality, religion that is pure and undefiled. And then in the verse it says to visit. So this is an action. Like you are actively doing something. You are actively moving towards something or in this verse someone. Um, and, and what does James say that you should move towards? Well, he says orphans and widows. And when James was penning this book, when he was writing, Orphans and widows was like, they were the most vulnerable people of that time. They, they were the most vulnerable people. There was predators, there was people lurking, there was people who wanted to take advantage, right? Orphans and widows, they had no protection, they had no covering. And when we think of the most vulnerable of society today, I think we can still consider orphans and widows as a part of that, but we can also consider those that have experienced sex trafficking, right? Or we can think of those that are unsheltered. Those people are also part of the most vulnerable people of today's society. And James, what James is saying is that our faith is most beautiful when we move towards things that are hard and broken. That's what he's saying. And that's the challenge, right? That's the challenge. Like, if we're honest, that's the challenge. Seeing hard and broken things and moving towards it. Because I am a less sanctified person. <laughs> and I want to move away from hard and broken things, right? I see the hard and broken, and I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to head this way. If it's over there. But what James is calling us to do as followers of Christ is move towards those hard and broken things. And I think my first response, I'm going to get there one day with the Lord, but my first response to move away from those hard and broken things is because that's what culture says, right? Culture says, listen, move towards the beautiful things of this world. Like, move towards money, right? Move towards power, Move towards becoming more beautiful. Move towards sex. Like there are things that this culture and society is trying to woo us towards. But what James is telling us to do is move towards the hard and broken. And it's all around us, these, this narrative of move, move towards the beautiful. But Christ in his goodness and Christ in the calling on our lives as believers, he wants us to move towards the hard and broken things. Uh, one of the, the things that I hear most, um, whether in this job or what I hear when I'm around our foster families, is everybody always, I shouldn't, those are grand generalizations, but I should say a lot of people say, oh, I could never do that. Oh, that, I could just 
that is so great for you. I, personally, I could never, right? And again, I would be lying to you if I, was, if I told you it was all like sunshine and roses. But we're asked to step towards the heart and broken. And the reason we're asked to step towards that is because that is a reflection of what Christ did for us, right? And when we move away from the heart and broken, we move further away from Christ and the understanding that Christ in his sovereignty and in his power and his immeasurable love stepped towards us in our heart and broken. And so really the call to foster care, the call to opening your home is to embody what Christ has done in our lives and then be an extension of that love. At Matthew 25, 35 through 40 says this, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Uh, Jesus was sitting with his disciples on the Mount of Olives when he Mount of Olives as he was sharing this, and I just imagined him under like a beautiful oak tree. I don't even know if there was oak trees, but that's what I'm imagining as Christ is talking to his disciples. And he said, "This is how I know you love me. You will take care of the poor and the hungry. You will open your home. I will know you as my sheep, and I will be your great shepherd." So I think the question really is, where do we go astray, right? Like, how do we read passages like that and move away from the hard and broken? And I think, I think if we're honest, it's judgment. It's easy to listen to that passage in Matthew and think, oh, yes, I am the giver. I will clothe and I will feed, right? But honestly, we aren't the givers, we're the receivers, like, we are the recipients of those things. Because we were the recipients of a wild and gracious love. And what keeps us from being the benevolent and not the recipient is judgment. Because it's easy to judge a mom who's going to detox and has four kids. It's easy to say she just needs to be a better mom. It's easy to judge a mom who's living in her car with her four kids, right? It's easier to say she just, she just needs to pull her up, herself up by the bootstraps. She just needs to get it together. But as we say those things or as we think those things, it's not the mom who bears our judgment. It's the kids. The children bear the weight of our judgment when we choose to judge instead of love. We've got to extend compassion to the children who need a safe, loving, warm place to lay their head. And we've got to be compassionate to the biological moms that use our services, extending empathy, that they have walked a path that we could never even imagine. We have a clinician on our staff, his name is 
Dr. Monipriz. We often refer to him as Gandalf because he's old and wise and has gray hair. And um, he loves to tell this story that I'll share with you. Um, he started the program of Strong Families, that family preservation ministry. And as he was starting the program, he went on a walk with his wife. And he was sharing about the program, and he said, you know, we care for the kids so that their moms can get back up on their feet. And his wife looked at him and, and said, you mean the feet they never had to begin with? Because I would think in a room, most of us in this room have lived a pretty good life. I would think. You know, we never had to worry about where we're going to be sleeping that night. We've never had to worry about where the, our next meal will come. But there are people who have lived their whole lives that way. And there's knowledge and skills that don't come with that if you've never been exposed to it. Um, I say whether it's a host family or a foster family, a lot of our families will nurse children back to health. And whenever there's a mom that applies to become a host or a foster family, I get really excited. I'm like, yes, you know? And I say, or when I talk to a prospective family and they're a nurse, and I'm like, we love our nurses. And they're like, but why? And I said, well, we have seen time and time again how nurses will help children get up to weight. Or we'll t watch time and time again how you know, minute changes in that child's um, food or even clothes changes their whole well-being. And often I get back, well, well, how do they, like, not know? Or, like, you know, because a lot of the moms that with our kids, they're on formula, right? And so they say, well, how do they not know that a change in formula would help a child gain more weight? And I said, well, you and, you and I could probably find a medical professional somewhere in our community, right? Like we have a friend or a relative who is a medical professional. But the moms that we serve, they don't have that same community. They don't have people that they can call on when their child has an upset tummy. Or they don't have somebody to call on when their child has a fever. They just go to the ER, that's just what they know. So it is so easy to judge moms who live in a different socioeconomic level than we do. But it's, I also encourage you to remember the things that we have built into our community and the knowledge that we can call on. Uh, we recently had a half-day training for our host families. And one of the host families shared that um, one of the bio, biological moms loved to go to her church because she was constantly surrounded by other people who were struggling like her. She said, I live at Father Joe's, and everybody at Father Joe's is struggling. We're all struggling. But when I get to go to church, I get to be around people who aren't struggling like I am, and I get to draw on their wisdom, or I just get to be in relationship with them. And what a levity that brings to our, my spirit. So we've got to be compassionate to these biological moms that walk a totally different life than us. 
And we have got to live with a conviction that we as believers have a better way of caring for the fatherless than the system. Uh, did you know that 80% of those that are currently incarcerated in LA have been through the child welfare system? Or did you know that 70% of those who are homeless in San Diego have been through the foster care system? I know when I learned that statistic, it drastically changed my perspective on our homeless brothers and sisters. Because I don't see an adult, I see a wounded child. No government, no system outside of the church was created to care for the fatherless. It was the church that was supposed to be doing so. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion is this, to care for orphans and visit the widowed in their affliction. Um, at Olive Crest, we say everybody can do something. Uh, what's your something? Everybody can do something to care for vulnerable children. What's your something? And, and I know that a lot of you in this room aren't able to open your home. Maybe you have roommates and you're like, listen, I can barely live with them, let alone two children, right? But this night and tonight isn't a stop there. Everybody can do something. And the best part is that God has gifted everybody in this room to do something. He has given you gifts and skills to come alongside families who've opened their home. Romans 12.3 says this, For though the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. God has given each and every one of you in this room gifts and when we use those gifts, we honor and glorify God, and we get to see how God's kingdom expands. He's given you gifts to care for vulnerable children. Uh, I shared earlier that part of what I do is you know, help families either become a foster family or a host family, um, but I also get to help communities wrap around and support um, those that open their home. You know, volunteers help with emotional, spiritual, and tangible support, which really is a reflection of these verses. Um, and I see the community do some, like, wild and crazy things. I remember there was, um, I was with one of our foster families, and they were a young couple, and they hadn't had biological children of their own, and they had gotten a call from, uh, from us saying, hey, there's a baby who needs a home. Can you say yes? And they said, yes, we can. And so they went to the hospital and picked up this baby. And as they got in the car, um, the mom had this like panic moment of like, what have I done? <laughs> I just picked up an infant. I don't know how to change a diaper. I don't know how to swaddle. I don't know how to make a bottle. Like, what have I done? Because uh, you see, what a lot of people don't know is when you step, when you say yes to fostering, you're saying yes to an age range. 
So you're, you're saying yes to zero to two, or you're saying yes to zero to five. And you can imagine that what a one-year-old needs is very different than what a five-year-old needs. And they were one of those families that had said yes to zero to five. And so we said, they said yes to a one day. <laughs> and so she, uh, this mom texted her friend, this new mom, this new foster mom texted her friend and said, I don't, I am freaking out. <laughs> I have no idea what I have just said yes to. I need help. And her friend said, just give me a few minutes. And she was like, that's not the response I needed right now, but okay, I'll give you a few minutes. And her friend texted her back in five minutes and said, meet me at the church. I kid you not. And so she was like, okay, <laughs> already overwhelmed. Fine, I'll meet you at the church. And as they pulled up, there was, I like to call an army of aunties. And all of the women, the aunties of the church were there to welcome them in and said, hey, let, let me teach you how to change a diaper. So they learned all the basics. They learned how to do everything. And isn't that the most beautiful vision of the church? It's when people say yes to what they can and yes to how they can support. Um, I'm going to use Ian because he's right here and he also happens to be one of my favorite people. Uh, Ian went to Royal Family Kids Camp. And after, he said, I want to do something. I want to I put skin in the game here. And so I won't forget Sunday morning where he was talking to Ariel, and I walked up, and Ariel was like, Missy, meet Ian. Ian, meet Missy. Ian wants to do something. And I was like, heck yeah, Ian, let's do this. And so Ian, out of the overflow of the abundance of God's love in his heart, stepped into something new. And he mobilized his community group to wrap around one of our foster families. And I cannot tell you enough what that community group has meant to this foster family. It's a mom and daughter duo, adult daughter, you know, older mom. And they opened their home to a little one. I'll call him little man. And a little man had been through some things. And what I loved about Ian saying yes was that little man had a really uh, strong relationship with his biological father. And his biological dad was not healthy or whole enough to take care of him. And so he was placed. And, and this mom and daughter are phenomenal. I think what I'm trying to say is that it's so easy for men to listen to this and think, oh, that's reserved for the women. <laughs> you know, that's reserved for the aunties. But there is a void of men in San Diego who are saying yes to this. And with Ian and his community group saying, yes, we are going to wrap our arms around this foster family, it has been life-changing for them. And in this, uh, this past week, I think if time serves me right, uh, little man had never been to school. He was eight years old and he had never been to school. And this last week, he got two awards from school. One was resiliency. He got the resilience award. And the second was perfect attendance. <laughs> So we get to celebrate when God does wild things like that. 
And I get to celebrate when I watch people like Ian step into this ministry and use the gifts that they have. Ian has the gift of administration, and it has been so phenomenal for me because I'm like, Ian, this is what you got to do. And Ian's like, on it, and he goes and does it, right? And there's people in his group that cook and provide a meal each week. And at the end of the day, there are a group of people that this foster family can call when something goes wrong and they need help. Uh, Russell Moore, he's a theologian, you, some of you might know him, he says this, in the New Testament, we don't find our gift through self-examination and introspection and then find ways to express it. Instead, we love one another, serve one another, help one another, and in so doing, we see how God has equipped us to do so. And this, guys, this is countercultural. I think especially for where we are in San Diego, right? I think, like, if we're honest with each other, most San Diegans would say, like, we just need to find, like, the best swell, right? Or we need to find, like, the best taco shop. Or we just, we have to chase those things. But God is inviting us to join him and join him in caring for his kids. I think it's, it is easy in my work to lose sight and perspective that God loves these kids. He loves them more than we could ever imagine. And we as believers have a unique set of eyes on this. Because we could despair. That would be easy to despair. But instead, we get to have hope. And we get to have hope for these kids for tomorrow. And I think it would be a natural response to be fearful. Like, well, what if I step in? Like, what will people say? Or what if I step in? How will my community look at me? I have a really dear friend. Um, I call her my sister. And she lived with two roommates. And one of those roommates recently got married. So she had a room open and available. And I was over there one night, and they were like, yeah, we, we're thinking maybe getting a third roommate. You know, that could help with expenses, but we're still trying to figure out what to do. And I looked at her and I said, or you could open your home to kids. <laughs> I call it an occupational hazard of being my friend. <laughs> but her and her roommate, uh, they prayed and they fasted and they sought the Lord and what they were to do. And they felt like God was leading them towards that. And what they're giving up is their reputation, right? They're giving up what people, how people will perceive them as two young women caring for kids. And there is a sacrifice and there's a cost. But I am telling you, God is so faithful in this. And you will see him do extraordinary things when you offer up your gifts, your skills, your home to kids who need them. Hebrews 13, 1 through 2 says this, Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. God shows up. He shows up in crazy ways. Um, I'm going to share the story. It's, it happened, I think I got the text yesterday. Uh, that family preservation ministry exists 
to keep kids out of the foster care system, right? Uh, but the, there was a hosting that unfortunately we couldn't find a host family for to extend. And um, that child was going to be entering into the foster care system. And the last day that he was with the host family, which was Friday because I got the text yesterday, they were going up to Bates Nut Farm. And up, I, the text from the host mom said, you know, we were driving up and little dude asked about Jesus. And she was like, okay, yeah, I can talk to you about Jesus. And he was like, no, I think I'm ready to invite him into my heart. And she was like, okay, all right, like, let's, okay, all right. So she prayed with him, and little dude asked the Lord into his life. And at the end of the prayer, he said, so, like, does Jesus always listen to me? And she was like, yeah, he always listens to you. And he was like, I'm not sure about it, not sure about it. And she was like, well, then let's ask him for something. And he was like, he's eight, he was like, I want a car. She was like, Lord, a car. And she was like, all right, let's ask, let's ask Jesus for a car. And he's like, okay. So they prayed. And then they got out of their van to go into the store at Bates Nut Farm. And the first thing they saw when they entered into the store was two cars. And he looked at it, and his eyes got really big, and he turned around to the host mom, and he said, God does listen to me. And that is a small example of God's faithfulness, even to these little ones. And if he's faithful to the little ones, he's faithful to us as we open our home to them. And so I encourage you tonight as we go into this time of Q&A, you can't open your home. Figure out how to, how to wrap your arms in burden-bearing love around those that do. And we talked about family preservation, and we talked about intervention, and then there's this whole other world of adoption. And adoption can look like private adoption, it can look like international adoption, and I know some of us here tonight are walking through that path, and all of these pathways are worthy of exploring. And maybe you're like, I still have no idea. That's okay. You're in a great community of people who have gone one step ahead. And we can light the path behind us. Because God has been faithful to us and our testimonies show that. Thanks.